0: Good morning,
1: everyone. Good morning.
2: <laughs>
1: Hi guys. <laughs> Hi. Um, so who's talking right now? Who are we? What are what is all this about? Um, we should probably provide some context. <laughs>
2: Just a little bit.
1: Carmel, you you can.
2: Me? Okay. Uh I'm Carmel lorino and I am with Calzada Coffee. I am currently in Manila and this group we're calling what are we called jungle coffee jungle coffee yes
1: is it jungle Um, coffee collective or jungle coffee no i think it's just jungle coffee because coffee collective makes me think about europeans (laughs) those guys
2: (laughs) yes it's the jungle coffee group yeah they
1: are not not at all in the jungle (laughs) (laughs) but they Um, but they they can be our clients eventually
2: Yes. Yeah. Eventually. Hopefully they'll
1: buy coffees from our jungles. Okay, so we can't make too much fun of them. No. <laughs> no. If, if no, no, we still can We, we want to send them sample. Yeah, <laughs> and I think every, by now everybody's got a pretty good sense of humor about everything in themselves. <laughs> and if they don't, okay. I probably no don't one. want to be their friend. <laughs> okay. Exactly.
2: Um, and I'm joined here by my two jungle friends. Um, Wilfrith and cloudy Goods when will what's going on with you?
1: Um, I'm currently in beautiful Ho Chi Minh City aka Saigon Vietnam aka Nam um, and I'm enjoying a nice cup of iced coffee because it's hot
2: I'm having one of those too
1: ah that's cool I'm um, I represent coffee wise a company called building and we do all kinds of activities. I'd say up front, we're a co-roaster or co-roastery, and then um, we do all kinds of other things using this space as a headquarters.
2: Faudi, where are you?
0: Okay, I am a co-founder of a company called Be Spire Coffee. I basically do the same thing that Kamal does, but in Thailand, uh, I export Thai coffee and process some coffee, work with farmers to, to get the quality up to an exportable uh, standard and then you know send some of those coffee to the US, uh, to Europe, to Japan, to New Zealand. Uh, this year, because of COVID, we, we, I, I had to work harder to find new markets. So, so this year we'll be exporting to China and Australia as well. Yeah, so, so that's yeah. what we do.
1: That brings a question up for me, actually. Um, So, when or if we get back to some sort of like new normal um, and suddenly you've got all these new customers, um, what do you think? I mean, what do you think the result of that is going to be? Is it going to be like a mad rush to buy up all these good coffees you've been selling here and there Mm -hmm. from your entire contacts list suddenly? Uh, or our prices gonna have to go up in order to you know kind of balance that demand? Mm-hmm. Um, that's the part I'm hoping happens. Mm-hmm.
0: I mean I think I think me and Kamel have different experience on, on COVID. she she uh, yeah. she seems to be selling better. I had issue selling, particularly to to the us uh, yeah. I think we 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 are down to only twenty percent of what we normally have been export had been exporting in the past um, yeah but that forced us to find new market and, and to answer your, your question I think that would be a good problem I hope that <laughs> happened because yeah. because I've been quite complacent for a long time that I, I was quite yeah. settled with this kind of volume in the US this kind of volume in Europe and and we were already thinking about you know expanding uh, laterally as, as in like you know exporting other raw materials from Thailand spices tea but it yeah. this 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 COVID thing because we had a lot of stock left over, so I had to 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 send more samples to people because everyone the, the my strategy was everyone with you know people who were buying ten bags, twenty bags, thirty bags, and now buying you know one, two, three, four, five bags yeah. of just yeah just to keep the connection, but their their volume uh, way way down. So so we were trying to send uh, a lot more sample, not just to more to the US, but. To, through, to anyone who who be willing to take a look at the sample. So we sent some to China, some to, uh, some to Australia, uh, but then, but then, and and a lot of them. Then these countries seem to be, seems to be handling COVID better. So they they actually are buying more than what I was expecting they, they would buy. So so yeah. I, I hope I hope that, Raj, that you said would would come. And then I think I think that the supply should have no problem. I think it's more just the just the demand that that we we want to know in advance. I think what COVID is creating is that uncertainty, you know, of not uh, harder yeah. to predict with, whether we produce and whether we can sell all of it. I think that's that's the toughest part for an exporter. I think
2: and, for sure, and, yeah. and I think too, like for each of our origins, right? Like I think our target audience and a target market is so different. Um, And I think, Faudi, you guys have a lot more coffee produced and a huge Mm -hmm. local market that drinks Thai coffees, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think you guys had been kind of leveraging this, uh, Faudi, correct me if I'm wrong, like leveraging Thai as like a new export origin, but also um, competing with existing specialty coffee out there right in terms of pricing and volumes um whereas like our product is super niche and we don't produce a whole lot right so our target market and audience have been ones that have ties or connections to the philippines um filipino americans or filipino canadians or those in europe um, but there's there's been that connection to this um diaspora um which has been unique and also they've been willing to um, support us from the beginning, whether our coffee is super expensive. Um, and I think for us during COVID, that's been the community we've been able to maintain. Um, and they were willing to purchase more, right? So, um, but I think once we reach a certain level of volume, I think our our um, our expectations or other expectations of a larger uh, market will be will be different. Um, but at the same time, I'm also like, is that is that going to be our end goal or calzada, right? Um, mm. So that's just a question for us, I guess. And yeah. well, like in Vietnam, it's, you know, you guys have a huge local market. How, is you get, how are you yeah. guys different from like the Philippines or Thailand?
1: Um, I, I think w- I, it's so funny how the three of us kind of act as a bridge for one another. Because um, most, I, I'd say, nearly a hundred percent of my activity is focused domestically. Um, I do get a lot of inquiries from contacts in the U S and Europe, um, sometimes Australia, uh, about Vietnamese coffee, but, um, that hasn't been my focus. And the demand here has been adequate to keep prices kind of, you know, at a nice level for the producer and to keep the diversity of, of coffees or at least Arabica coffees and, Um, Beginning to be a diversity of Robusta coffees here um, to kind of in the market and in production at that high value level that the producers expect for that amount of labor. But, uh, you know, I think the unique challenge here is we have been looking at export, um, but our challenge is kind of the I think would be a, a bit different because everything here is super industrial in scale. Um, And so doing micro lots or shipping tiny amounts here and there outside of the country becomes super expensive um, on top of the cost of the coffee. Um, And so we're kind of dealing with maybe an opposite sort of issue because Vietnamese coffee is everywhere around the world. It is in all of the big commercial brands, um, but nobody knows it and there's no identity to it. And so um, peeling back those layers is kind of, I guess I'm dealing with more of like a forensic problem. And you guys are dealing with like an uh, establishment sort of problem, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm.
0: And how, when you say all the big brands that you're talking about, they buy Robusta to blend Mm -hmm. or Arabica as
1: well? A little bit of both. Um, I would say like the, the, the big brands that I know of who are buying Arabica are like exporters. Um, the big brands who are buying a lot of Robusta are, are, um, consumer brands like, um, Nestle Smuckers buys a whole lot. Um, and then, uh, a few other, uh, like just commercial brands, but I would say Smuckers and Nestle buy the the majority, uh, um, uh, like a, Mass, probably, I don't want to put a number on it because I'm not looking at any data, but I'd say, like, if somebody told me 40 to 60%, Mm -hmm. I would believe it without any hesitation. Mm -hmm. They're buying a lot of coffee. I read somewhere that Nestle was buying something like 25% of Vietnam's production. Wow. So, um, and then you can imagine all the small coffee brands that aren't actually independent brands that are under the umbrella of Nestle or Smuckers or, you know, Chibo or Mm -hmm. whoever else. Um, and so, you know, Vietnamese coffee is making it to a lot of places. It's just, you know, with no, with no traceability. Does that, does that affect like the reputation, the brand itself? Does people- yeah. It, it's an added challenge because it's not one of it, you know, from a cupper's perspective or a buyer's perspective, it's, it's not a, it's not a situation of discovery like it would be for, um, Philippine or Thai coffee, you know, where they're like, wow, I didn't even know that they made coffee. Um, this is more of like kind of a backwards looking thing. Like, oh, this is Vietnamese coffee? It's not as bad as I thought. Um, So we're dealing with like a terrible reputation for quality um, if anyone knows anything about the coffee to begin with.
2: I guess you guys also have like new up and coming brands like Nguyen Coffee Co., right? Like you you know the founder of that and it's kind of like rebranding and reshaping people, the identity of Vietnamese coffee. Um, And it's interesting to see that for me on like on CalSada front, cause we started as a roasted brand, um, in the U S when we first launched in 2014. And then we yep. pared back that approach knowing that we actually needed to focus more on the farm level. Um, cause that's where really we needed to have more quality product and then investing in communities and creating wet mills. And so, um, It's been interesting to watch a brand like that um, have kind of a very solid like following, you know.
1: Yeah, I I, you know I think Sarah is a lot smarter than the three of us because she started (laughs) Nguyen Coffee Supply without the word or with at least without all the baggage of specialty coffee. She was just focused on the culture and representing it correctly and kind of from a doing it the best we can kind of perspective mm-hmm. rather than this is the top 1% of coffee in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she didn't have all of those hang-ups that specialty people would about, you know, expected flavor profiles. Um, and, you know, this is, this is tasting a little faded or this one is tasting wow. a touch musty. It, she just took the product at hand and, made it as good as it could be, and she found an audience for it. And, you know, luckily she has a background in digital marketing and she's also very culture oriented. So she has a big network in the Vietnamese-American diaspora, especially in the, you know, New York and the New England area. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's been the key to her success is she just didn't play around in this puddle of, you know, I would call it like the the ivory tower of coffee, she she went straight for the people, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I, I think that's where she really um, she really unlocked the formula for herself. Mm-hmm. So it, there are some valuable comparisons that we can make to what she's doing, but it's mm-hmm. also a very different thing than we're trying to yeah, do. Yeah. Um, but I also I I think there's like a kind of a tug that comes from that once once people get familiar with um, when coffee supply they start asking questions about. What else is there from Vietnam, and mm-hmm. I think that it it all kind of contributes to a larger good
2: for everyone, for sure. I agree.
1: Is Sada going to go back on that route?
2: Um, in a small way, I think. You know, like mm-hmm. I teeter also from that perspective. Um, I don't know her personally, but we do also have similar friends. Um, online. And um, at the beginning of my journey into specialty coffee, I was not in the industry, right. I remember um, drinking a whole lot of it growing up in the Pacific Northwest and um, you know, living in Seattle before moving to uh, Manila. Um, And there is that sense of um, like ownership of like, or I guess, like, since I am Filipino also, like, what is it, like, how could we do this ourselves here? Um, and so that's when I moved back in 2013. And the first time I had heard of Euphrith was really that, like, you know, specialty coffee um, article and Sprudge. And then you were returning to Vietnam and there's this great photo of you with, I think, a flower in your hair. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> This guy has all these credentials. Um, I was like, I am, I know nothing about coffee other than I drink it.
1: So it was, it was like one of
2: those like new in coffee supply moments. Where I was like, what am I getting myself into? But whatever, let's do that. Um, but to answer your question, Powdy, I think this year we sent a couple of bags to the West Coast um, that are not sold. The rest are uh, contracted, and our plan is to smell uh, sell. Uh, those bags under the CalSada brand, um, but I think mostly as green, um, like small, like 100 gram samples, or um, if they want to try all the different types of um, processes we do um, that will be available for home roasters or potentially interested um, roasters in the future that we don't, we, we couldn't supply this year, right? There's a lot of people that ask us for samples. And I'm like, look, we are not a major importer and we don't have yeah. a lot of supply. So this is our way of like, you can try our product, but you have to pay for it. So um, we weren't, we didn't have the mechanics to do that in the years past, but now we'll be able to at least send out green, um, not as samples, but, you know. People want to try it out. And I think, you know, with COVID now, um, there will probably be some interested, like specialty coffee drinkers that already have the accoutrements to make to do brood, but now they want to get into home roasting as their COVID habit. So hopefully, some of those guys will also buy our product. So uh...
1: I want to talk about something that you just mentioned which is the uh purchasing samples Mm -hmm. thing yeah that i I feel like there's like a quite a lot of uh i don't know there's some complex injustices wound up in samples for green coffee and i feel like why does that that cost always end up on the producer and like sending a sample from Vietnam to the u s um you know we were just looking at something like under two kilos of uh green coffee going to the Midwest, and it was going to end up costing us something like hundred and fifty u s dollars yeah. yeah yeah, and to me, that's just like that's the entire margin for these three bags of coffee we're trying to see <laughs> yeah. you know yeah. like, <laughs>
0: that's because i when I when I have to do that, then I I have to justify to myself that the buyer will be big enough to at least buy more than three bags. So I ask for at least five bags, but there is still mm-hmm. that risk of them not buying it. Yeah. That, but then but then yeah, to send samples, I feel like you you really need a potential to for the buyer to buy a yeah. lot. Yeah.
2: And for us, it's like I stopped playing that game. I think the first year or two, like I think there was at the beginning, like this like we are new we should be sending out samples and giving them out and then it was just like got costly right and then you have no idea if these yeah. people even like roasted or tasted it yeah. and then we got more cautious and I got more brave <laughs> and I'm like if you want yeah. if you want to try our product you have to pay for it you know the.
1: yeah it's pretty annoying like all the green coffee tourists because they end up being like 80% of the people who request samples are people who have no intention to buy anything
2: mm-hmm.
1: and they still feel entitled to free samples.
2: Yeah. I don't know where that comes from. <laughs> Maybe a historical Years colonial thing. Habits.
0: <laughs> there right. are, there are uh, roasters who are paying for samples now though, like willingly. It seems that this year particularly it seems, seems surprising to me that they asked to, if they can help pay for it. oh that's good
2: yeah i think for us like any new potential um clients they at least pay for shipment or you know um you're sort of that like kind of building that trust and relationship but for the most part um we're like no we don't have free samples we produce seven tons of coffee a year (laughs) that's that's like it so um if you want to try products i do
1: have to i do have to shout out um Piero at cafe imports because, um, the moment I said, Hey, I've got a a sample of something I want you to taste. He sent me all of the info to their DHL account and their FedEx account. And they're like, yeah, just, just put it on this account and, and send it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's what I think a responsible, you know, sampling protocol should be. But of course they're an importer. So they definitely are familiar with the plight of the producer. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, I, I think you know like people like us and other people talking about things as mundane as sampling and how that hurts yeah. is the way forward.
2: And I think it's just know. the first you know thing they ask for, right when they're working with other yeah. importers that's what they give right it's like it's the kind of the language and the communication when you're someone looking to try new products like can you send me samples um but i hope we we get around to identifying that word to include paying for it right not that samples will be free like samples can you know could be free or there could be costs associated to it Um, and i think expanding what that word can mean, especially working with small producers, yeah. would be great.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it, it, it is, it's going to differ by case because, like, importers um, can definitely put aside a budget for sampling, and that's kind of their job. Yeah.
2: Right? And they've already paid for the product, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. So the producer doesn't have to, like, you know, decide to skip three Saturdays worth of meals in order to send a <laughs> sample. So it, it's a, yeah, I think it's just going to be a more complex problem with hopefully deeper understanding on part of the person making the request. And if people are going to get involved in stuff like direct trade or relationship coffee, they're going to have to understand that these things mm-hmm. may be different for different people. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Definitely.
0: I mean, my, my rule of thumb is that if, if the client is new and have no idea about them, then, then I'll, I'll I'll be reluctant and I'm ask them if they could pay but if it's a established yeah. client that i know they would buy more than five bags yeah. then then i'm willing to to send them them the sample because that that relationship and i know that it will be offset when, when they buy it yeah. So, yeah,
2: would yeah. you ever consider faudy because um, that's still like a risk right like that established mm-hmm. client could still not pay yeah. buy the coffees um, having yeah. them like pay for that sample to begin with, but then you subtract that cost once they purchase like five bags. Because that's something I've thought about, but never really executed.
0: I've never done it because I, I don't know the logistic of it. It would be when I send them the invoice, I will subtract it, you mean? Yeah, like
2: subtract, like have them pay for the sample up front and then share with them like, hey, once you do purchase the bags, we will subtract you know, the cost of the samples that you paid for. So yeah. there's like a, a upfront really? fee, but then, cause then yeah. it still would secure you your, like that cost, even if they don't, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I, I could, but yeah, have, have to have to explore that, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Cause right now, yeah. right now, because of this, particularly this year, COVID, it's more of us knocking on new roster door ah, of like of of trying to release, trying to sell the coffee. So when, when that happens, the leverage is against us. I think it's more us yeah. going to them knocking and they, they don't need to, to to get the sample. So so this year in particular was, was kinda like difficult and we had to send a lot of sample for just take that risk. And it, it seems to be working okay. Yeah. But but mm. of course it will be better if everyone understands and, and willing to
1: to to help pay for the sample, yeah. yeah.
2: You hear that, people? Are you guys listening? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: But being being on the other side of the, the equation, sometimes you know, I definitely need a yeah. sample. I'm not going to purchase coffees without tasting them. So yeah. you know, and really small companies that are just trying to build a, a an offerings list, I can imagine that you know, paying for samples. Yep every time can be a bit cost prohibitive. So um, I think maybe we're just like kind of in a period of realignment as an industry and people are maybe starting to dial back and get some more realistic expectations about what kind of buyers their company can be, you know, like it's easy to slap direct trade on, on a bag, but it's really hard to make it an equitable um, sort of purchasing system for everyone.
0: Yeah. One one strategy that I, I did was that I sent everything to to my brother. He's still there in the U.S. And then yeah. I sent, I sent like a lot. And then so I just pay for it once and then have them dist- distributed using using USPS, like a cheaper meal yeah. in the U.S. Yeah. yeah so that, sure. that kind of yeah. helped offset the cost a little bit.
2: I've had so many mules, including myself, that, you know, um, just sending it through friends and family, but COVID actually, you know, hindered that this year. So there wasn't a whole lot of new folks that got to try our coffees this year, right? We were supposed to go to SEA and do a talk together and do a lot of stuff this year. But one of the things we didn't even get to do is send samples to folks that were really looking to purchase this year. So, um, yeah, I couldn't even have... Mules (laughs) that would have been cheaper (laughs) to have. Um, I think I've had a friend like sort coffees in Seattle, and I sent him like (laughs) you know, some like Sweet Maria's blog link talking about what primary and secondary defects are.
1: (laughs) Oh man,
2: (laughs) a shout out to my friend Joseph (laughs) in Seattle.
1: (laughs) God Uh, bless you, Joseph. God bless
2: you.
0: Oh man. Oh, that was fun. Kamal, are you are you listing your your green offering on other importers website as well or is it direct um,
2: to Calzada only? It's just direct to Calzada only.
0: So people can go to your website yeah. and then just order. And order
2: from there. Um, I've toyed around with also doing a roasted offering, but I think since we have a lot of other brands that, not a lot, but we there's brands that have purchased our coffees um, in the U.S. So what we'll do on our website is just have a link to our wholesale partners and where folks can purchase our coffees. And if we do sell anything roasted, it might just be for the holidays. And it's our small micro lots um, that are from our new mill that isn't really being sold in the U.S. So something that they could only get from Kalsada at this point and was too small to sell anywhere else.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So it seems like the three of us have a lot of stuff to talk about. And I think that this is such a, like a, a a good exploration as to like what the next few um, conversations could be about. And, I think we're all three in a very unique position of being in countries that are both producers and consumers Mm -hmm. um, at all levels. And um, I I think there's a lot of interesting stuff there that we can start talking about in the future. Of course, we're coming up on half an hour. So I think (laughs) that's a pretty, that's a pretty good conversation to subject people to. Mm
2: -hmm. Thanks folks for listening.
1: Yeah, so how about we uh, just kind of like say goodbye to people with our like ways to look us up or contact us on social media or whatever our preferred mm. communication methods are? Why don't you go ahead, Fadi?
0: Yeah, you can follow us on Instagram uh, at Beanspire Coffee, B E A N S P I R E Coffee. And then, yeah, drop us—you know—question or what you want to hear us talk about. We're like, like we'll say we're all at origins that also have quite sophisticated and up-and-coming consumption demands as well. So, a- any question, any topic you want us to cover, I would love to to hear from you guys.
1: That's right. And Carmel, tell us about. Kalsada.
2: Sure. Um, you can also follow us on Instagram at Calsada Coffee, K-A-L-S-A-D-A. And um, same URL for Facebook. And then our website is Kalsada.com. And yeah, send us um, some questions or topics you'd like us to cover. It would be great to hear what you all are interested in learning from, from us and our origins.
1: That's right. And Um, For me, it's building.coffee, B-U-I-L-D-I-N-G, .coffee. coffee. And that's the website, the Instagram, and the Facebook. And um, I think the three of us are planning to maybe, if this warrants the effort, getting a Jungle Coffee uh, social media account or some sort of something, Going,
2: we should should at least launch our a really cool illustration poster.
1: (laughs) Right, that poster needs to be seen (laughs) by the world.
2: Needs to be seen by the world. This is the reason why we actually started this podcast is for that poster.
1: For that's true.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I think you need to explain how that poster came about first, because we were gonna have event as the SCA. Yeah, Yeah. and then Uh, COVID happened. So that's why it's turning into this podcast.
1: That's right. So good things can come out of bad things. (laughs) It's quite all right. Anyway, um, I don't ever want to hang up, but I think we need to call it a day here. And we'll be back for the next one.
2: Thanks, guys. Thank Thank you very
1: much. Thank you. Cue the music. (laughs)
2: our first episode. Subscribe to Jungle Coffee Coalition on your favorite podcast app like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can also see the awesome poster we talked about on this episode on our Instagram at Jungle Coffee Coalition. Thank you for listening in.